Welcome to the first episode of the Thoughts of a Gearhead podcast. My name is Brandon. I'm joined here today with my girlfriend, Lexi, who is next to me. And she's going to feed me some ideas here. This is just a first episode to kind of get this whole program rolling. I'll turn over to Lexi now. Lexi, what do you have for me? Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me what the why Ford is so subpar to Chevy in your book. Well... So, I guess we'll have to start with my upbringing as a gearhead. So, when I was, God, I think I was about 17 or 16 years old, I bought my first truck. Now, as far as some backstory, my dad had purchased a brand new 2001. It was a three-quarter ton Chevy, had the 8-1 gas and an Allison in it. And that's basically the truck I grew up in. We took it to the cabin all the time. And so when I was able and old enough to buy my first truck, I bought a 93 K1500, really nice light blue with chrome on the bottom, four-wheel drive. And I'd always loved working on cars. So, you know, as you do, you make cute little mods to your truck and whatnot. And you have, I had some friends that go to high school that had Fords and just their experience with them. Of course, they love Fords, but... Um, the real experience I have with Ford versus Chevy, I mean, you can include Dodge in this too, is really with the small block. The small block, Chevy, whatever generation you really want to use. I'll use the early 90s generation because that's the one I'm most familiar with. Those small blocks are just, they're so easy to work on. Um, they're basically the backbone of the LS, and that's why everybody wants to LS swap the world. But they're extremely easy to work on. Maintenance is straightforward. They're a reliable platform that's basically still used today. The Ecotech 3 V8 is basically just a slightly smaller small block with, you know, a bunch of fuel injection upgrades and whatnot. Heck, some people say they're less reliable, which I could probably agree with as well. But the thing with Ford is the main dislike I have is with the the uh, the three valve V8s, like the the five six three valves have a lot of um, cam phaser issues, and I've always you know seen them, especially when they come into the shop or whatever. They're always having cam phaser issues, or just the maintenance to do them is extremely difficult and asinine. With you know most Chevy V8s, it's it's very straightforward. Everything fits onto everything. If you have a 85 block, well, it'll probably fit you know, early 90s heads, and you can throw whatever intake you want on from any era, unless you get a Vortec top end and whatnot. The thing with Ford is a lot of that stuff, especially with the more modern Fords, is they don't really want you to touch anything. If you notice on most of the modern Ford pickup trucks, there's skid plates covering the entire underside of it. Um, everything's hard to get to in the engine bay. It's very cramped. Even the modern Chevys nowadays are still extremely open plan or if you want to or open engine bay i guess you could say with dodge i don't have as much of an issue the five nines are fine and you have you know the hellcats nowadays are a very interesting platform but as far as reliability goes at least in the, in the truck section most of those dodge trucks especially from the 90s you know, the 80s weren't as bad, I don't think. But in the 90s, which is where I had the most experience, 
all the transmissions are made of glass and the engines like to burn copious amounts of oil at 170,000 and that's not being if you take care of an engine it'll take care of you you can take care of a three valve five six and I'm sure it'll run to 300,000 miles just like with a you know a five seven hemi or five seven small block if you take care of it it's going to take care of you but the amount of work that you have to put in versus Ford and Dodge is in my opinion a lot more work from just from what I've seen in the car scene and and growing up with that era of small block and that era of trucks really um, as far as the car goes a lot of it's the same stuff I know the 5.0 Coyote is good um, but even those 5.0 Coyotes a lot of people will have timing chain issues where the timing chains will snap and it basically wrecks your whole motor you got to rebuild the whole thing with uh, the pushrod V8s that Chevy has I don't know about Dodge but with the Chevys they're non-interference so if you do break a timing chain on a small block you're not going to ruin your valves because your pistons cannot hit your valves when the timing chain breaks and actually with most of those 90s uh, small blocks the service interval for the timing chain is about 170,000 miles with now with the Fords I don't know but I'm, I've got to guess it's got to be a lot closer about 120 maybe 100,000 um, some stuff I don't agree with the Chevy is um, I guess General Motors you have to bring in companies like Oldsmobile I actually had a 2001 Alero and the transmission the fluid is considered a lifetime fill so you're never supposed to change it out there's no dipstick for it there's no extremely simple way to flush the fluid unless you drop the pan um, the only way you can check fluid on a vehicle like that from the early 2000s with that style of transmission um, you have to pull the drain plug or the inspection plug on the side of the transmission much like a manual transmission and you have to inspect it basically from underneath the car. So why did they make it like that then? As, if I had to guess, um, in the early 2000s, they just wanted, especially with Oldsmobile, it's a very odd time for Oldsmobile. Um, they didn't have a lot of cars in their lineup. I think they had the Aurora, the Alero, then they had the Bravado, which was their SUV. And the Intrigue, I think, was like their full-size four-door. And generally, their buyer base was older um, older Americans, older couples. And to where, if they don't have the ability to check their transmission, well, okay, it's fine. I don't have to worry about it. Um, it's, uh, I guess you could say, ease of maintenance. Um, Would you say that's a user-friendly car for someone like me who, you know, doesn't even know how to check my oil? For someone like that, then perhaps, yes, I don't recommend that era a whole lot unless you're talking about um, Pontiac, which is a whole different era, which you actually have a Pontiac Grand Prix of 2002, I believe. Now, that's a whole different story. That's a legendary um, V6 that um, was actually came from Buick. Buick was actually the designer of that V6. And I don't think at the time they knew what they were building. That V6, at least in the Pontiac world and the following that that car has, is legendary. 
They threw a supercharger on top of it. You can mod the hell out of it if you want. There's a whole company dedicated to just the 3.8 V6, which is, which is just awesome. And the Pontiacs, the Pontiacs with the, I believe it's the 4, it's not the 4L. It's, a, it's just a variation of a 4-speed hydraulically controlled transmission. And they let you check the transmission fluid. Mm -hmm. Now, with the Alero, it's got a 2.4 twin cam, and I believe it's also a 4-speed transmission, but it's not the same 4-speed that's in the full-size Grand Prix. It's, it's a smaller transmission that's meant for GM's compact cars. And that twin cam, that 2.4 liter, is not really a great engine either. You know, twin cams, timing chain, I believe, and I had one where, heck, it started burning oil at, you know, 70, 80,000 miles. And since I've gotten rid of it, or my parents have, and as far as it being user-friendly, I suppose it could because now you have one less fluid to check and it's one less fluid to worry about. So I guess, in a way, yes, it can be a user-friendly car for someone that doesn't have an ample amount of knowledge with cars. So would you say that the car was ahead of its time then? I definitely wouldn't say the Alero was ahead of its time. Um, I don't think Oldsmobile at that time. But I mean, don't they have an Audi, or an Audi, I believe, that's like that, that doesn't have a dipstick in it? There is. Now, this is a whole another thing as far as Audi's um, like philosophy. Most of the modern Audis, yes, you are allowed to check your oil level and everything else. Transmission, I don't think you can on most of those newer Audis. Um, I forget the exact year and model, but there's a very certain Audi where, or a certain era, that the oil level is determined within the car. So there's a, a electronic readout um, and a little menu in the infotainment system on the car that you have to have the car running at idle for about two to five minutes and it will read your oil level. Um, this is, in my opinion, probably the dumbest design, um, philosophy or design choice that you could make. The simplicity of having a tube that runs to the engine block that sticks into the oil pan where you can just stick it in and pull it out and check your oil in about, in about five seconds. You could probably pop the hood, run out there and check your oil in probably about five to ten seconds. With this, you have to wait at least two minutes with it stationary at idle, running. So if you're low on oil, you're causing damage to your engine because it's not getting enough oil to lubricate the entire oiling system and the entire engine. So as far as ahead of its time, no. Um, all internal combustion engine cars, I think, you should be allowed to mechanically check every single fluid that is in your vehicle. So... Going off of what you told me about the Audi, what happens if I can't start my car? Then, if you like, can't... How do, I, how do I check my oil if I can't even start my car? That's the, and that in lies the problem. Let's say you... The battery is dead or something. Well, now you have to first either jump the car to check the oil, or if you're even doing a, an oil change, you 
and you're not quite sure or you haven't looked up the specific spec and you pour oil in you won't know how much oil is exactly in the vehicle until after a certain amount of time has passed with the vehicle running um, so as far as that you don't really have a good way of knowing exactly how much oil is in the vehicle now I believe if you're driving it as well it can tell by how much oil flows through a certain sensor not really an Audi guy but it just to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense that's very interesting um, so how do you feel about some of these newer upcoming like Tesla models as far as and I guess you could say electric vehicles as a whole um, there is a very cool aspect to it, especially with Teslas and the new electric Porsche that is out now. You have cars like, are similar to the Prius, which is a hybrid, yes, but that have that electric option. It's a very interesting piece of technology that has come a long way since the early EVs of the late 90s. Um, and I guess you could get hybrids in there too if you really wanted to, but full electric vehicles, I think, have still a, a lot of downsides. There's still a considerable amount of time that you have to wait to recharge your vehicle. Now, if you drive, you know, 20 minutes to work every day and you're home every night, well, as soon as you get home, you can plug in your car to your house, have a charge overnight, and it's ready to go the next day. All you're paying is your electric bill. Now, Tesla does have a system set up where if your car is low on charge, you can go to a supercharger and pay, um, I don't know if it's per kilowatt or amount of time, but you can charge up your car to like 70 or 80% in like five minutes, which at a gas station, I can fill my tank. Even if it's my truck or my Suburban, I can still fill that tank in probably three minutes. And now especially with the suburban i can wait we'll say we'll say five minutes well now i have a driving range of 500 miles at least with a tesla i think the maximum range is maybe in the low 300s if you're not in performance mode um, as far as the other technologies like um, auto drive or autopilot i think is what tesla calls it you have the the smart collision avoidance which can basically do a lot to help a driver avoid a collision that stuff is all well and good and fine but you also have to remember it is another item that can go wrong um, and if it goes wrong at the worst possible time well if you don't have any driver input then you're gonna have an issue um, and a lot of you know modern gasoline cars have that same exact functionality. Um, I still think there's a there's quite a bit to go with electric vehicles. They're definitely getting better and better, um, especially the newer Teslas. And I know the Lucid is coming out. Um, the Hummer EV, which just got announced, I think, not too long ago, that has four wheel steering and crab walk. That's really cool. Um, the electric motors allow you to do that because you can turn the two axles independently from each other. Um, and GM actually had 
um, something similar to that called Quadra Steer in the early 2000s on their pickup trucks, um, which why that went away was because of reliability issues. Um, but the, the technology involved with it is very cool. I just think they have, you know, a ways to go as far as um, being as good and as convenient as gasoline-powered cars. So one uh, brand of car, I guess, that I haven't heard you touch base on yet is Hyundai. That, see now, Hyundai is a very interesting um, case coming from South Korea, especially starting in the early 2000s. Um, when they came into the American market, they were pretty unknown. Um, they were a quirky little car company with some, basically some compact cars, and I think they had, I think they actually had designed one mid-engine sport car. I don't know if it ever made it to production, but um, as far as we'll say starting in 2016 on up, Hyundai has actually gotten really good in the reliability department. Um, they have a fantastic warranty from factory that beats, I think, almost every other car maker, which is great to have that peace of mind. Um, I do know recently that they've had some major engine recalls where they've had to replace the entire engine essentially on a vehicle. And even the fact that they will take care of that for you if you have that vehicle under warranty is still awesome. Um, a lot of other manufacturers, um, like Ford will take, for example, you know, as much as I, I hate Ford. Um, I'm not trying to rag on them a whole ton, but I believe the transmissions in some, um, like, 2010s, 2010 and up focuses, um, Ford knew they were putting bad transmissions or mismanufactured transmissions in cars, and they knew they were going to fail. Um, Ford was actually sued over it, and I don't remember the outcome of the case. I'm sure they had to pay damages to a bunch of owners. But the fact that Hyundai will basically take the L and they will replace your entire engine for you because, you know, they screwed up, and they will replace it for you shows that they're committed to their buyer base and shows that they're committed um, as a brand to just to keep growing and to have buyer retention, which is, you know, one of the best things you can have in the auto industry is having repeat buyers. A lot of buyers nowadays will not stick with a single car brand for more than a year. They keep shopping around or they'll keep leasing around till they find one that they like or they'll do it for the rest of their driving career. They will just keep um, leasing different companies or releasing the same company. Um, but they never actually purchase the vehicle. When you purchase the vehicle, you take on a much larger um, responsibility than you would just leasing the vehicle. Um, but the fact that Hyundai does have that warranty and does um, warranty those parts and, you know, the entire engine definitely shows that they're committed to having repeat buyers. Okay, so how would you take... Hyundai versus like Mitsubishi or Nissan as far as especially modern day we have to talk about modern day Hyundai um, a couple of years ago I'd say five ten years ago they couldn't really compete as far as reliability goes and build quality 
Hyundai's build quality today, I would say, is 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 on par with most Japanese manufacturers and U.S. manufacturers, especially if you're going to talk about Chrysler. Chrysler, for years and years, um, at least in the U.S. market, has had a lot of build quality issues. That's not to say that Chevy hasn't and Ford hasn't, but you do hear about it a lot more um, from brands like Chrysler. Um, Mitsubishi has always kind of been the odd kid out um, as far as the Japanese manufacturers. It's essentially what, what Chrysler is to the big three. Um, Chevy and Ford have always fought for number one, and Chrysler has always been that weird out child who fights for... Um, or to fight to be a part of the family. Um, Mitsubishi, um, and we won't go back to the 90s because in the in the 90s they were pretty good in the 2000s. Um, Mitsubishi has gotten rid of its halo car, the Evo. Um, they sell, you know, bland crossovers with reused names from cool 90s cars, a.k.a. So from the what I'm, So from what I'm hearing, Mitsubishi is behind its time i would say mitsubishi does have a does have some catching up to do um as if you're gonna put hyundai in with those japanese manufacturers which i guess you can because they're all asian manufacturers hyundai is probably probably fourth if i'm gonna go with overall build quality um warranties um buyer retention stuff like that that makes it a good car company. Toyota's probably got to be first. Um, Honda has got to be, you know, right there with them in second. Nissan is probably third, and then I'd probably put Hyundai as either beating Nissan or right below them, and then Mitsubishi as far as stuff like build quality and buyer retention. And I think even sales figures um, would probably be lagging behind quite a bit. Obviously, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but just from what I know, Mitsubishi is <laughs> more than definitely lagging behind. Bless you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, no, I, I know there's a lot of uh, car brands, I guess, that you would call them, that yeah. I... That I missed and we haven't gone over. So, um, would you take a Ford or over a BMW car? Um, stuff like that. It really it boils down to era. If we're gonna go with modern, oh, that's a tough one. I don't generally like modern day German manufacturers. Um, especially Volkswagen, I feel like um, Volkswagen and Volkswagen owns Audi and stuff like that, which is going to be weird to say this. I don't like Volkswagen per se, but I don't um, I don't really hate Audis. I think most some of the modern Audis, as far as styling and performance, they're really they're great. Um, as far as working on them, I think they suck. I think all modern German cars to work on suck. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to convince me differently. If this was the 90s, it'd be a lot different story because everything in the 90s, 80s was a little bit easier to work on. Um, German manufacturers are probably close to my least favorite, which is hilarious because my background, my ancestry is German. Um, as far as Japanese manufacturers, you can pick any of them and they're going to be 
pretty darn reliable. Um, with American manufacturers, I feel like American brands make better full-size vehicles. So SUVs, trucks, um, full-size sedans, even you can group into that. Um, stuff like that. Would you say that opinion is biased because you grew up in America? Yeah, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna lie and say, oh, I have no bias at all. I have a massive bias towards GM because that's what I grew up, um, not only with, but I grew up working on that stuff. Um, I am only 22 years old, but just having that experience as a young kid, you know, my dad bought a Chevy basically when I was a kid. Funny enough, he has a Tundra now at Toyota, so he's kind of bounced around. And he also has had a 2010 Ford Ranger, so he's bought, he's kind of broadened his horizons. My mom has always bought in Ford, um, even though her dad was a GMC fan. So my mom bought a brand new 1998 uh, Ford Explorer XLT 5 liter V8. And that's not a bad truck, that is a good platform, 5 liter V8. You know, body on frame, mid-size SUV, great in the winter, pulls a decent amount, great SUV. She now has a 2013 Fusion, which hasn't given her any issues, um, but she doesn't really drive it very often. Um, my grandma on my mother's side is actually uh, more of a GM fan. She's had an Oldsmobile, a Pontiac, and now she has a Chevy Cruze. Um, obviously her being older, she doesn't really drive it much. Grandma on my dad's side has been more of a Ford person. She's had, um, her two most recent cars were a 96 Taurus. Now she's had a 2006 Taurus, I think, for the last, for the last 10 years or so or, or whatever. But, yeah, um, I obviously have a bias towards General Motors vehicles. But I've had, you know, I've had... A 96 Celica, and I've had a Nissan Hardbody. Um, you know, we had a Dodge van for a short period of time, which a full-size van, which was not bad. Um, I've had buddies with Dodge trucks. One of my friends has a um, has a Dodge uh, Mega Cab truck. So I've kind of seen I've kind of seen a little bit of everything, but. I do have a bias for GM just because I do really like their products. So I'm kind of playing the devil's advocate here, but what are some things that you do like about Ford and some Ford models that you do like? Um, the ones that I do like, the Focus RS is really cool. It's basically a street legal rally car. Um, it's a great performance option, especially if you're a younger kid who loves to drift. It literally has a drift mode. Um, I don't particularly like the full-size trucks. I don't like the twin-turbo V6. Um, and you can't say, well, Chevy has a turbo four-cylinder. I don't like the 2.7 inline-four. I don't think it's a good engine platform. GM has already had issues with that engine. Um, and heck, there's actually one in the service center I work for that has uh, reduced engine power code right now and it's like it has 50,000 miles on it. I don't particularly like that platform. Um, yeah, the Focus RS isn't bad. The Probe was a cool, quirky two-door car with, you know, pop-up headlights. So, you know, every car guy loves a good coupe with pop-up headlights. Um, 
the Mustangs from the 80s, you know, they don't look bad, but I myself have a 84 Camaro, so they're kind of like my arch rival. Um, I like the Escorts from the 90s and 80s, they're pretty cool. Um, a lot of, I like a lot of stuff from the early 90s and 80s, though. Um, you know, 67 Mustang, who doesn't like a good 67 Mustang, but most of the modern Ford stuff, I don't really care for, essentially. And would you say you don't care for them just be based off of functionality and problems I'm, you've seen working on them? Yeah, I've just, throughout the history of what I've seen working on Fords, and I've, you know, I've been working in the automotive field since, basically since I was old enough to work, and you just see those vehicles come in, whether whether they're neglected or taken care of or not, they're always, you know, most of those, even the explorers, um, like the more modern explorers, will have the CV, sh or the axle shafts will leak from the seals that go into the transmission, and the transmissions themselves will leak, or the transmissions won't function properly, or the emission system is throwing an error code because the turbos can't breathe well enough, all that sort of thing. Now Chevy with the with the Traverse I know has had a lot of transmission issues as well, um, and GM and Ford actually um, jointly designed what is what GM calls I believe it's the the 10L60E is what GM calls it. It's basically 10-speed electronically controlled transmission that was jointly developed by Chevy and Ford. Um, I'm pretty sure they still use it in the pickups and whatnot. But for the most part, those are fine. I know sometimes they have torque converter issues, and I'm I'm sure Ford and GM use different torque converters. Um, you would have to because of the different vehicle weights and ratings and stuff. Um, but it's just, yeah, I mean, the Ford trucks, some of the design choices are just why, um, especially if you're just trying to change oil on it. The specialty drain plugs with that are 3A's drive and are, and are plastic, they have plastic oil pans on the engine and transmission. Um, GM is still using aluminum or metal. Dodge has switched to a plastic oil pan for its transmissions, which I'm sure it works well and good enough, but it's not going to stand up to extreme heat the way an aluminum pan is going to. Um, and just the history I've seen with how the vehicles perform, I'm sure they're great for the owners themselves, but personally, I don't, uh, I don't like working on them. And that's why I choose GM over the other two. Okay, so kind of wrapping up here, what we're talking about, um, would you say that your opinion of Ford could be changed if you had different experiences? Oh, yeah, and I'm saying, you know, if you grew up on Ford, you know, your dad bought a Ford and your grandpa had one, your grandma had a Taurus, obviously you're going to like that brand, um, or you're going to be more keen to liking that brand if you grew up on it. Um, being with me, I have had a little bit more diversity in my life, um, and I've just kind of gone with, um, Chevy because I think they're simple to work on. If you're just getting into cars and you want something that will be generally simple to work on, um, all the parts from all the brands are interchangeable most of the time. 
Um, GM is really good at um, what is called part spinning. They'll take something off a full-size truck and they'll use it for a compact car or an SUV or whatever. With Ford, especially like the 2010 and up F-150s, each, each um, package, like the King Ranch, the XLT, the XL, the brakes and whatnot will be totally different part numbers and totally different parts that won't be interchangeable. I don't know if it's like that for the Mustangs and, and other stuff like that, but as far as um, shared parts, ease of service, um, overall reliability, I would I, I pick GM for those reasons. And and my you know my views of Ford could be changed. I don't hate everything they make. Um, they have a couple good ones out there. I don't hate everything Dodge makes. The Challengers are great and whatnot, and the Chargers are good. Um, I do have somewhat of a bias towards GM, but, you know, moving forward, I will try to give, um, you know, my opinion, but an honest look at everything, um, that I see. Okay, well, I appreciate your input on these different things. Um, I know some other people will, too. Um, and I think I have all the information I need. All right, perfect. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were here for the first episode and kind of asking your question. It's good to have, you know, a fresh start with anything like this. Um, any listener out there that have uh, viewer questions you guys want to send in, my opinions on stuff, or just more about my fleet of vehicles, feel free to chime in and send us some messages, and we will see you in the next episode.